Chapter Four of Ride Proud Rebel by Andre Norton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Eleventh Ohio Cavalry. They had worked their way around the edge of the cornfield, and now they could look out on a hard-surfaced road, which must be the pike. Riding along that in good order were a company of men, thirty Drew counted, and four of those had extra horses on leading reins. He also saw ten carbines, and the owners of those were alert. "'Stand where you are.' The slight man leading that skeleton troop posted ahead. His shell jacket had the three yellow bars of a captain on its standing collar, and Drew saluted. This was the first group of fugitives he had seen who were more than frightened men running their horses and themselves into exhaustion. "'Rennie, Private, Quirk Scouts,' Drew reported himself. Kirby's salute was delivered with less snap, but as promptly. Kirby, Private, Gano's. Captain William Campbell, the officer identified himself crisply. Any more of you? He looked to Boyd, and then at the cornfield beyond. Barrett's a volunteer, Drew explained. There was no time to clarify Boyd's exact status. There's just the three of us. You heading somewhere special, Captain? the Texan asked, or just traveling for your continued health? Campbell laughed. You might call it that, Kirby, but if we stick together, I think all of us may stay healthy. Kirby turned his horse into the pike. Sounds like a good argument to me, sir. You have any idea where at we are, or where we could be heading? Northwest is the best I can say. If we strike far enough to the west, we may be able to flank the troops spread out to keep us away from the river. Best plan for now, anyway. And the more men we can pick up, the better. Scattered some, ain't we? Kirby assented. You give the orders, Captain, sir. We ain't licked completely yet. There was a low growl arising from the company on the pike as the Texans' comment reached them. They might have run and gone on running most of that long day, but they were no longer running. They were moving in reasonable order, and to some purpose, with a direction in view, and a form of organization, no matter how patched together they were. Campbell spoke directly to Drew. You know anything about this section of the country? Some, but it's been almost three years since I was here. I know nothing about any Union garrison. Those we'll have to worry about as they come, but you ride advance for us now. Send in any stragglers you come across. The night is almost here, and that's in our favor. So Drew and Kirby, with Boyd trailing, ranged ahead of the small troop, and picked up more stragglers they did, some twenty men in the last hour before twilight closed down. I'm hungry, Boyd said, approaching Drew. There's farms around. Why can't we get something to eat? Here. Drew fumbled in the saddlebags he had transferred from Shawnee to this new mount back by the river. He handed over a piece of hardtack, flinty-surfaced, and about as appetizing as a stone. That's the best you'll get for a while. Boyd stared at it in dismay. You can't eat a thing like this. It's a piece of rock. Indignantly, he hurled it away. You get down and pick that up now. Boyd flushed and hot-eyed gazed at Drew for a long moment. The flush faded, and he moved uneasily in his saddle. 
but he was not out of the range of Drew's attention. At length, unhappily, he dismounted and went to pick the gray-white chunk out of a weed tangle. Holding it gingerly, he came back to his horse. If you don't want it, give. Drew held out his hand. Boy, realizing the other meant just what he said, fingered the hardtack and finally dropped it into the waiting palm. You eat hard, and you sleep on the soft side of a board, if you're lucky enough to find a board. You ride till your seat is blistered, and until you can sleep in the saddle. You drink mud green with scum, if that's all you can find to drink. And you think it's mighty fine drinking, too. This ain't. Drew's thoughts flitted back to his meeting with Aunt Mariana on the Lexington Road, all saber-waving and charging the enemy and playing hero to the home folks. This is sweatin' and dirt on you and your clothes and going mighty hungry and cold and wet when it's the season for going cold and wet. It's taken a lot of the bad with not much good. And if you don't cut off home now, you'll ride our way, keeping your mouth shut and doing as you're told. Boyd swallowed visibly. All right. But there was a firmness in that short answer which surprised Drew. The other sounded as if he meant it as if he were swearing the oath of allegiance to the regiment. But could he take it? A few days on the run, and Boyd would probably quit. Maybe if they got into some town and the Yankees didn't smoke them out right away, Drew could send a telegram and Boyd would be collected. Drew tried to console himself with that thought. All the time another part of him was certain that Boyd intended to prove he could stick through all the rigors Drew had just outlined for him. But in any event, the boy's introduction to war was going to be as unromantic as anyone could want, short of being thrown cold and untrained into a major battle. They must be prepared for a bad time until they made it out of the Union lines and south again. The night closed down, dark and moonless, with a heaviness in the air which was oppressive. Campbell had to grant men and horses a breathing period. He put out pickets leaving the rest of them to lie with their mounts saddled and to hand. Drew loosened the girth, stripped off the saddle and blanket, and wiped down the sweaty back of his new mount. But he dared not leave the gelding free. So against all good practice, he re-equipped the tired beast. No mount was going to be able to take that kind of treatment for long. They had half a dozen spare horses, and undoubtedly they could trade worn-out mounts for fresh ones along the way. But such ceaseless use was cruel punishment, and no man wanted to inflict it. War was harder on horses than men. At least men could take their chances, and had a fraction of free will in the matter. Drew awoke at the tug of his sleeve, flailed out his arms, and struck home. Kirby laughed in the gray dawn. Now that there, kid, is no way to go round waking up a soldier. He may take you for a blue belly, as has come crawling into his dreams. It's all right, amigo. Just time to get on the prowl again. Feeling as if he had been beaten, Drew slowly got to his feet. Men were moving, falling in the line, and one was arguing with Captain Campbell. It could work, Captain, the trooper urged. Ain't a lot of the boys wearing Yankee truck they took out of the warehouse. Them that ain't can act like prisoners. Just say we're the 11th Ohio. They's stationed near Bardstown. 
and it would seem right, them riding down, to take some prisoners. The old man, he's got a rich farm, and sets a powerful good table. Might even give us a right smart load of provisions in the bargain. It's worth a try, sir. Rennie, so summoned, Drew reported to their new commander. Know anything about a Thomas McKeever living in this section? Drew's memory produced a picture of a round-faced, cheerful man who liked to play chess and admired Lucilla's pickled watermelon rind to the point of begging a crock of it every time he visited Red Springs. Yes, sir. He's Union. Got two sons with Colonel Wolford. Owns a big farm and raises prime mules. You know him personally? Yes, sir. He's a friend of my grandfather. They used to visit back and forth a lot. Then he'd know you. Campbell's fingernails rasped through the stubble on his chin. So Rennie here could be one of our prisoners, sir. That they might convince Mr. McKeever we is what we say. The trooper pressed his point. Could be. It's gospel truth. We ain't going to get far with our bellies flat on our backbones. And it might work. Now all you men listen. Campbell explained, gave orders, and put them through a small drill. A dozen men without any Union uniform loot, to distinguish them, were told to play the role of prisoners. The others exchanged and drew out of saddlebags pieces of blue clothing to make their appearance as the 11th Ohio. They ain't going to expect too much. The trooper who had first urged the plan was optimistic. We can pass as close to militia. You hope. Kirby was in the prisoner section, and it was plain he did not relish a role which meant that he had to strip himself of weapons. You. He fixed his attention on the man to whom he must hand his colts when the time came. Keep right alongside, soldier. If I want to get those six guns, I want them fast, and I want them sure. Not about ten yards away, where I can't get my hands on them. Their gnawing hunger drove them all into agreeing to the masquerade. Drew could not recall his last really full meal. Just thinking about food made a warm, sickish taste in his mouth. He brought out the hardtack, which Boyd had so indignantly rejected the night before, and holding the chunk balanced on his saddle horn, wrapped it smartly with the butt of a revolver. It broke raggedly across, and then he was able to crack it again between his fingers. Here he held out a two-inch piece to Boyd, and this time there was no refusal. The younger boy's cheek showed a swollen puff as he sucked away at the fragment. Drew offered a bite to the Texan. Right neighborly, amigo, Kirby observed. About this time, me, I'm ready to exercise my teeth on a stewed moccasin. Comanche at that, were anybody to ask me to sit down and reach for the pot. But they rode on at a comfortable pace, and for some reason met no other travelers on the pike. Drew found that his new mount had no easy shuffle like Shawnee's. The gelding was a black, with three white feet and a proudly held head. Might even be Denmark stock. But for some reason, he didn't relish moving in company, and left without close enough supervision from his rider, he tended either to trot ahead or loiter until he was out of line. Drew was continually either reining him in or urging him on. Kind of a raw one 
Kirby commented critically. He ain't no rocking chair horse, that's for sure. If I was you, I'd look round for something better to slap my tree on. Drew pulled rein for the tenth time, his exasperation growing. I might do just that. Shawnee had been worth fifty of this temperamental blooded hunter. You take Tejano here. He's a rough-coated old snorter, nothing to make an hombre's eyes bug out. But he takes you way over yonder, and then he brings you back. Nothing more you can ask. Drew agreed. Lost my horse back at the river, he said briefly. This was a pickup. Tough luck. Kirby was sincerely sympathetic. Funny about you Kentuck boys. Most of you want a high-stepping pacer with the chief's feathers sprouting out of his head. They has to have oats and corn and be treated like they was glass. I'd rather have me a range horse. You can ride one of them from hell to breakfast and maybe a mile or two beyond, and he never knows the difference. Work him hard all day, and maybe the next morning, when you set to fork leather again, he shows you a belly full of bed springs, and you are unloaded for fare. A horse like that has him wind and power to burn. You raised horses before the war? Kirby swallowed what must have been the last soggy crumb of hardtack. Well, we had a mind to try that, my pa. He started him a spread down Pecos Way. He had him a good stud quarter horse, one of steel dusts get. Won two or three races, that stud did. Called him Kiowa. Pa made a deal with a Mex Mustanger, and he got some prime stuff he caught in the panhandle. One mare, I remember. She was a natural pacer. Yeah, you might say, as how he was getting a start at a first-rate string. Me and my brothers. We was breaking some right pretty colts. His voice trailed in the silence. Drew reined in the black again and asked another question. What happened? The war? What happened? Well, you might say, has Comanches happened? Me, I was trailing along with this Mex Mustanger to learn some of his tricks. When I came back, there just weren't nothing, nothing a man wants to remember after. Some day I'm going to hunt me Comanches, going to learn me some tricks in this here war I can use in that business. There was no change in his expression. If anything, his draw was a little softer and lazier, but the deadly promise in it reached Drew as clearly as if the other had burst out with a rebel yell. This is it. Captain Campbell rode back along the line. It was a larger company. They had gathered in more fugitives this morning and had no stragglers. All they lacked was adequate arms to present a rather formidable source of trouble behind the Union lines. We're going into McKeever's place. You men remember your prisoners. Very reluctantly, those in that unhappy role unbuckled gun belts, passing their sidearms over to their captors. There was a gravel drive, branching out of the pike to their right, with a grove of trees arching over it. So they rode into a restful green twilight out of the punishing sun. Fields rippled lushly beyond that border of trees. There was a cleanness, a contentment, a satisfaction about this place, which was no part of them or any men who passed so, armed, restless, tearing apart just such peace as enfolded them here. They rode out of urgency when the gravel of that well-raked drive shifted 
under the hoofs of their mounts. "'I'm saying one thing loud and clear,' Kirby announced, to those in his immediate vicinity as they neared the big brick house. "'I may be playing prisoner to you boys, but I ain't settling for no prisoner's rations. We all eat full plates in here. Let that be understood from the start.' Campbell laughed. Noted, Kirby. We'll see that you desperate rebels get all that's coming to you. Now that, Captain, is just what I'm afraid of. We'll get all that's coming. That sounds a right smart better. Company ahead, Captain. The trooper who had suggested this action indicated a man walking down the drive to meet their cavalcade. That's Mr. McKeever. Drew identified their host for Campbell. But the Captain was already moving ahead to meet the older man. He touched fingers to his keepy, a neat blue keepy, in a smart salute. Chivers, Captain, 11th Ohio, sir. We'd like to make our noon halt here, if you'll grant permission. Thomas McKeever beamed. No reason not to, sir. Take your men over in the orchard, Captain. We can add a little something to your rations. Glad always to entertain our boys. His attention wandered to the score of prisoners in the center of the troop. Prisoners, Captain? Some of Morgan's horse thieves. Campbell glanced back at the shabby exhibit. You've heard the news, of course, sir. We smashed them proper over at Cynthiana. You did? Now that's good hearing, Captain. It deserves a regular celebration. It surely does. Morgan smashed. Was he taken, too? Next time, I trust. They'll put him in something stronger. Then that jail you Ohio boys had him in last time. He's a slippery one. Haven't heard about that, sir, but his men are all pretty well scattered. These aren't going to trouble anyone for a while. McKeever nodded. I've a stout barn you're welcome to use for a temporary lockup, Captain. Though I must say, they don't display much spirit, do they? Look pretty well beat. Drew rubbed his hand across his face, hoping the grime there a mixture of road dust, sweat, and powder blackening was an effective disguise. No use recalling the old days for Mr. McKeever, allowing his shoulders to slump dispiritedly as he was herded by his file guard. He rode sullenly on to the orchard. They stripped their saddles and allowed the horses freedom for the first time in hours, an act which was against prudence, but which McKeever would expect of Union troops. Drew lay full length under the curving limbs of an apple tree, his head pillowed on saddlebags. Now I wonder. Kirby dropped down to sit with his back against a tree trunk. Why they always say a fellow's dog tired. A dog? He ain't got him much to do, except chase around on his own business. Soldier tired? Now that's another matter. How about it, kid? You ready to ride out of here and chase General Grant? back to Lake Erie? Boyd had stretched out only a hand's length from Drew. There were dark smudges under his closed eyes, hardly to be told from the smears of dirt on his round cheeks. But there. He rolled his head on a hammock of grass and scowled at Kirby. General Grant can. He added a remark which surprised Drew into opening his eyes. Kirby shook his head reprovingly. Now that ain't no way for a growing boy to talk. And it sits on your tongue as easy as a fly on a mule's ear. 
What kind of company you been keeping, kid? Rennie, this here colt ain't got no reason to cram grammar into a remark that way. Drew stretched, folded his arms under his head, and answered in a voice he tried to make as blightingly as possible. Thinks it makes him sound like a man, probably. He's finding out the army ain't quite what he expected. You shut up. Boyd might have added something to that, but Drew had moved. He leaned over the youngster, his hand hard and heavy on Boyd's shoulder, and it was plain that, much as he wanted to, the other did not quite dare to move or shake off that grip. I've had about enough, Drew said quietly. The next town we hit, you're going to stay there until someone comes from back home to collect you. Nobody knows you're with us, and you can go back to Oak Hill without any trouble from Union troops. Boyd's eyes blazed. His mouth wasn't shaping a small boy's pout this time. It was an ugly line tight against his teeth. I ain't going home. I said you can't make me, lest you tie me on a horse and keep me tied all the way. And I don't think you can do that, Drew Rennie. I'd like to see you try it. I sure would. He got you on a standoff, I'd say, Kerber remarked. My, ain't he the tough one, though. Horns sticking up and haired all over. Gentlemen. He had glanced over their shoulder and was watching whatever what was there. Company coming, mind your manners. Drew looked around. His hand clamped tighter on Boyd, keeping him pinned on his back. If he only had time. But there was no way of disguising the younger boy and Thomas McKeever, strolling over with Captain Campbell, had already sighted them, stopped short, and now was moving swiftly in their direction. Boyd Barrett? Drew had to release his hold, and Boyd sat up, brushing bits of grass from his shirt sleeves, even as he returned Mr. McKeever's stare with composure. Yes, sir, Boyd was on his feet now, making his manners with the speed of one harboring a guilty conscience. What are you doing with this gang of cutthroats and banditti? Mr. McKeever had an excellent voice to deliver such an inquiry. It could rattle the unaware into confusion, and sometimes even into quick confession, as he undoubtedly knew. I'm with General Morgan, Mr. McKeever. Boyd did not appear too ruffled. I refuse to believe that that unprincipled ruffian is robbing cradles to fill up his ranks, depleted as they may be. Boyd reddened. General Morgan ain't no, no unprincipled ruffian. Yeah, Kirby drawled. As the other two, he had risen to his feet on the approach of the older man. Them's pretty hard words, sir. Cutthroat now. I ain't never slit me a throat in all my born days. What about you, Rennie? done any fancy work with a buoy lately? Mr. McKeever favored the Texan with a passing frown, then his attention settled on Drew. Rennie, he repeated, and then said the name again with the emphasis of one making a court identification. Drew Rennie? Yes, sir. As Boyd had done, Drew answered to the indictment of being where he was and who he was. I am most unhappy to see Alexander Maddock's grandson and Meredith Barrett's son in such company. Surely, he turned to Captain Campbell, these boys are not your regular prisoners. Campbell shook his head gravely. Unfortunately, sir, they are indeed troopers with Morgan, and as such, they are subject to the rules of war governing prisoners. 
that does not prevent me from seeing what I can do for both of you, their host said quickly, at least Boyd. You are young enough to be released by the authorities. Be sure that I will do all I can to bring that about. As Boyd opened his mouth to protest, Drew spoke quickly. Thank you, sir. I know Cousin Mary will appreciate that. With the last assurance of his intention to help them, Mr. McKeever left. Boyd grinned. He did help me, he observed. He knows now I'm with Morgan, and nobody can say that's not so. Kirby laughed. Reckon that's true, kid. You locked yourself right into the corral along with the rest of us bad men. Looks like you've been outfought this time, Rennie. Drew threw himself back under the tree. So Boyd had won this round. They were still in Kentucky and not too far from Oak Hill. End of Chapter 4